0: Hi, I'm Ed Straw. You're listening to the Everything F1 Podcast. Driven by fans, for the fans.
1: The F1 Podcast.
2: This is the Everything F1 Podcast. Today, we review the season so far with a very special guest... None other than the race's Ed Straw. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. With me, James Tiller. Today, alongside me from the Everything F1 team, we've got Coops. How you doing, Coops? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for asking. Uh, we've got Sponge. How are you doing, Sponge?
1: Hello. All good. Thank you very much.
2: Good. And we've got Tom. How are you doing, Tom? Good
1: evening. Absolutely splendid. Thank you. Brilliant.
2: And as a special guest, he's come along for a second time, so we didn't scare him off last time. We've got Ed Straw. How are you doing, Ed?
0: Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, not too bad. I'm feeling very privileged to be invited back a second time. Normally, I don't get a second invitation, so it's a... Uh, it's an unusual experience.
2: You can come anytime. Yours, yours actually was our most listened to podcast. Uh, so, say, say, I don't know, you, you've got the magic touch or the midas, midas touch turn to gold.
0: Correlation doesn't always equal causation, though. Remember <laughs> that. So uh, there could be other factors at play. Uh,
2: we'll, well, we'll leave it. We'll leave it as uh, as a positive that it was. Oh, it's all because of you. <laughs> um, but we are everything everyone anyway. You can obviously find us on all our social medias. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We're all at the handle at join EF1. Uh, and of course, you've got our shiny website, www.everythingf1.com. You can also please subscribe to this podcast. If you hit that subscribe button, you'll hear every single one of our special interviews that we have, special podcasts. We've recently had Jamie Chadwick, uh, Matt Bishop on. And obviously today we've got Ed Straw from The Race and various other locations too. Uh, OK, well, today we're going to talk about our, kind of a, what we had uh, in our expectations for the season and um, if they were met or not. So I'm going to head over to Ed first, as he is our guest. Um, coming into the season, Ed, what were your expectations uh, of, of the season?
0: I guess it depends where you take the expectations. Before testing, I was kind <laughs> of expecting it to be 2020 part two with Mercedes dominant. After mm-hmm. testing, I was thinking, oh, we could have a real battle on here. and that's what's been delivered it's been it's been fantastic we have seen a closer field Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen going at it lots of arguing between Red Bull and Mercedes off track and battles yeah. throughout the field it's it's been great actually hasn't it
2: yeah it's been a really really entertaining season uh certainly do, do we want to get rid of these rules so quickly now we're, we're, we're getting kind of some close battles with our championship uh, two two championship winning teams um I don't know well, what, what uh, would you say your expectations have been met then, uh, or have they been exceeded with your with your kind of expectations coming into the season?
0: I think probably exceeded because even when things look promising, you you think, oh well, it'll probably go a little bit less excitingly, but it, it's just been great. And even at the front, just the swings back and forth and the mm-hmm. the unexpected swings in performance, more than anything, have, have really made the season because that's what you want as long as you've got a really good battle at the front mm. everything else is almost a supporting cast but the lead cast the supporting cast everything's been really interesting this season we've just had for the most part really interesting races
2: we have even the usually boring races have uh, thrown us some kind of excitement and something uh, to to kind of chat about um coops how about you and your expectations coming into the season did did, did, did uh, has the season met your expectations
3: Oh yeah, I mean, I think you'd be a very fickle Formula One fan to think that they haven't been. Uh, as Ed said, they've probably exceeded it. I don't think MD really came in thinking that there was going to be anything other than a Mercedes dominance. Mm-hmm. And up until Hungary, it was all Red Bull and all Max Verstappen. So, certainly exceeded it, looking forward to the last however many races we get
2: yeah that's still up in the air so we we can't commit to all of the races because we we think some will be uh cancelled due to covid let's hope not let's hope we do get the full 23 um sponge coming into the season were you expecting much from this season or were you expecting kind of like ed and coops maybe that slightly it was going to be just more of the same uh that we've seen
4: i think i think i'm with with the other chaps i think with COVID the way that it was with everything so far up in the air, I think we were all expecting just, just to kind of carry on. Like Ed said, you know, 20, uh, 2020 kind of mark two. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I think as Coop said, I don't think we can, I don't think we can doubt that it's exceeded expectations so far. The fireworks, you know, finally came through at, at Silverstone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously, you know, at, at hungry we we were denied the chance to see whether or not that would carry on um Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean yeah i I think it was it's one of them it it quickly you know in the first couple of races we we quickly started to to see this was not going to be any any kind of like hangover from last season this was going to be 2021 was going to be its own season we were going to have new battles um new, new people to impress um And yeah, I think it's lived up to it all the way through.
2: And there's somebody going to be smiling in the corner there, Tom, uh, because you're a Red Bull fan. Uh, Did you expect Red Bull to be performing the way they have done this season
1: um, and keeping Mercedes uh, kind of honest? Uh, Honestly, I really did not. Um, Much like the the other gents have said, I thought this season was going to be an extension of the 2020 season. I didn't anticipate that the what seemed like to be relatively minor changes Mm -hmm. to the rear floor, for example, that would affect the low-rate cars such as the Mercedes and the copycat Mercedes that was obviously the racing point last year. I didn't think they were going to have such an effect on those cars this year. And when we started this season... You can never really take too much from pre-season testing because you don't know fuel loads, you don't know tires, you don't know if they're doing long runs, you don't know if they're doing quality pace, all the rest of it. And mm-hmm. Mercedes usually sort of sit back a bit in pre-season testing. But when when we got to the first race in Bahrain, Verstappen should have won that. It was only because he gave the place back due to where he passed Hamilton on the track that he didn't win it. Um... And I think that very much set the tone for how the season is going to go. And also with Honda bringing forward their power unit changes that were supposed to be for 2022 into this year, is given Red Bull a brilliant package. Now, we did get to a point, I think it was around Spain and Portugal, we had sort of two, two or three races in a row where Hamilton or Mercedes got pole, pretty much led every lap there or thereabouts, or they sort of out strategy at Red Bull, and they mm-hmm. sailed off with, with two wins. And it felt a bit like... Some races last year, it's like, okay, well, Hamilton is is doing what he does so many times and does so well. Um, but then when we saw the reverse of that, so Silverstone, those two tenths, the two races in Austria, those two tenths, France, that win for um, for, for Verstappen, it's been a brilliant season so far.
2: It has been. Well, let's talk about the top two then, because I uh, can't really go too far into uh, this podcast without talking about the championship battle itself. Um Ed, Max and Lewis, are we are we witnessing the kind of one of those rivalries that's probably going to go down in history this year especially?
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely been that so far and I hope it's that for the rest of the season. You've got two great drivers at different ends of their career, obviously Hamilton's mm-hmm got the CV with all the titles on it, but I don't think anyone would doubt that Verstappen's going to have a a pretty mighty CV by the end of his F1 career. He's certainly a championship-caliber driver, and he's he's proved that this year. So what I really like is it's two absolutely top drivers really pushing each other. Mm -hmm. I think probably Verstappen's forced Hamilton to up his game a little bit. The, the gap to Bottas in qualifying is extended. Not a huge amount, but it, it has gone up a little bit mm-hmm. compared to, to last year. I'm not saying Hamilton was coasting because he, he was doing exactly <laughs> what he needed to. But that's yeah. what you see. When you have two drivers like this, they they elevate each other. And sometimes it gets a little bit fractious as it did at Silverstone. But you see them testing each other, pushing each other, asking questions. And the stakes just get higher and higher with, with every race, which is what you want to see. You, you can probably make a case that this is the best title fight of the 21st century, potentially, assuming it keeps going the way mm-hmm. it is just because it's it's been so much about those two at the front of the field and it's it's had a little bit of everything i think five times out of 11 races we've had them directly crossing swords wheel to wheel on mm-hmm. track not always with uh, pretty consequences should we say no. and that's what you want to see isn't it and there's going to be moments that people talk about for years silverstone being the obvious one that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be being talked about in 30 years time endlessly
2: yeah, okay. What was your take on that? I, I I did hear it on the race podcast, to be honest with you. But let, let let our our listeners, if they haven't heard, um, kind of your opinion on on that incident. Was it a racing incident? Are you kind of in the camp of it being a racing incident, or do you think there was more blame? You know, sixty forty either way or or whatnot.
0: It's one of those ones that becomes there's a slightly philosophical angle to to to, to, to it because I do believe that you need to have a grey area where there's racing incidents where the drivers can kind of ask questions and test each other. Mm-hmm. if you're going to penalize someone clearly hamilton definitely more at fault yeah but at the same time it was an incident that kind of both made just happen could have backed out i don't believe any driver can bulldoze in and force the other driver to to back mm. out but this is what happens when you're in those little grey areas in in the middle when you can have these racing incidents so uh-huh. I can see why Hamilton was penalised, so I'm not kind of up in arms about it, but generally I prefer racing incidents. What's obviously unfortunate is that if you're Red Bull and Max Verstappen, I don't blame them for being furious because the consequences, the outcome couldn't have been much worse. And that's obviously played a part in Verstappen, who should have had a big championship lead going into the break, being behind, which is which is pretty amazing. So yeah, it's it's a tricky one. I think there is, there is that philosophical question. I think you can argue that kind of everything should have the, the kind of clear lines on mm-hmm. if it's a racing incident or not. I like there to be a little bit more in the middle because, you know, it wasn't a zuka 90 type thing. But yeah. yeah, the stewards are correct in that Hamilton ideally should have held a little bit tighter. But yeah, Verstappen made, uh, played a part insofar as he didn't cover the inside quickly enough. Maybe he'd have been better off just accepting, actually, I'll just let him go. Perhaps as Hamilton didn't start at the spanish grand prix so mm. it's great but it, it it's brilliant because it just means next time those two are together on track they're going to be testing each other they won't want to yield mm. who knows what's going to happen that's why people are so excited about it it, it happening again so yeah just, <laughs> just a great moment and amazing that it's kind of such an on-the-line incident because i think you can build an argument either way on the penalty quite coherently mm-hmm. and consistently and that just shows how kind of in that sort of window uh it is and, and that's why it was just such a, a memorable collision if you uh if you want to put it that way probably not so memorable for anyone at anyone at Red Bull given the impact but yeah <laughs> uh, amazing scenes
2: yeah I think uh it's the way the obviously the, the the stewards have been penalizing people this year maybe I don't know but they've been a bit too harsh it 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 was kind of a precedent set on the Lando Norris race the race before um the way he got penalized um you're gonna to have to forgive me because I cannot remember. Uh, well, the turn. Um, go on, keeps.
3: Four or five, I think, for the one, wasn't
2: it? Yeah, turn four or five. Yeah, he got penalised a couple of times, basically. Um, and they just just because everybody
3: in that race get penalised for something.
1: <laughs> Paris got penalised twice.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, but but is it these precedents that are ruining the the rest of the season, or is that is it? Would that have would that incident at Silverstone been maybe? just put down as a racing incident if we didn't have that precedent set uh in hungary uh, in austria sorry
0: they seem to have gone a little bit more aggressive on penalties haven't they yeah and I, I think they felt the few drivers were taking liberties uh it's it's a strange one because the the if you look at the norris perez one say it was turn four i think in in uh, I was going to say in Austria, it was either Austrian or Syrian Grand Prix, forget <laughs> <laughs> no, which, which was which. Kind of that principle of if you're on the outside, uh, you will get kind of shown the, shown the grass, as the saying goes, uh, at the exit. And so they slightly changed that position. But there was a great battle with Alonso and Raikkonen, actually, where Alonso basically pinned Raikkonen right to the edge, but no more. So mm. it shows you you can do it. So I think Michael Massey has said, the race director, has said that they've had to crack down a tiny bit more on it. Mm. Um, but but it, it's always difficult stewarding because there is that, that, as I said earlier, that philosophical question, isn't there, about, uh, about it? And when you build the precedents, certainly the recent precedents, then you tend to get, to get bound by them. But yeah, it's, it's not easy if you're in the, the, the steward's positions. Uh, so no. I, I can't necessarily blame them. But it becomes difficult because whenever you have regulations and rules about overtaking, it tends to overcomplicate things and tends to accidentally make things legal that shouldn't be etc so it's mm. it's it's a really it's a really complicated issue but i understand why that why they've done all of those penalties although i do again tend to trying to have a bit of a light touch on penalties the downside of that being that sometimes you do get people going far too far and you have to crack down so i guess there's a natural ebb and flow there isn't there there is
2: yeah i i know what you're saying um and it i just the I don't know. The purist in me wants me to, to kind of just see what, where they end up on the actual track and let's not, you know, I don't know. We'll go down to you, Coops. Uh, what driver has, uh, has really impressed you this year that you want to chat about?
3: Well, there's a couple. Uh, I think the one that we're all thinking of is Lando Norris. Uh, yeah. You know, Ricardo being signed, we always thought, well, oh, this is going to be a tough one. And in all honesty, it's not been much of a fight between Norris and uh, Ricardo, uh, for re- reasons not because of anything other than the fact that Ricardo can't handle the car quite the way that he expected, but you know, Norris has come in this season and he's just got on with it and he's done it well. Uh, he hasn't really got himself into any controversial situations, you know, he was unlucky that he was the person that got hit by Bottas at the last race. Other than that, he's mm. just Consistently got on with it and could have got himself a thing. Was it second on the grid? It was it Imola or Monza? But he got his. Is that when
2: he didn't go in the pit. Well, when he did go in. No, no when he didn't go when in. When he
3: pit. Uh, no, that was Baku. No, the, was that, Baku? it was the qualifying lap that got uh, he lost because he crossed the white line. And oh, it was yes. like millimeters over, but you know he crossed it, and I think he would have got third or second. Uh, he ended up down in like sixth. Uh, mm-hmm. and my second one, through slightly gritty teeth, is is Esteban Ocon. Uh, you know, I, I said this at the, you know, you're smiling a wee bit there till I know why you're smiling, uh, <laughs> because I I didn't rate him uh, after how Ricardo kind of dealt with him at Renault. Uh, but, you know, he's again, he's showed it, you know, he's, he's sitting next to Alonso and Alonso's ruined a lot of drivers in his career. And he's not getting ruined. Alonso, mm. uh, Ocon had a blip after his contract, but, you know, he's quietly getting on with it. He's been relatively consistent. And I mean, that Alpide's not a particularly good car in terms of pace. So, they would be mad too. Uh,
2: have you got anything to add on um, Lando and Ocon, uh, Ed? Um, have, have you had a kind of chat to them behind the scenes? Are they enjoying their seasons so far?
0: Yeah, but both with good reason. Obviously, for Norris, it's been plain sailing to a, to a greater or lesser extent. You can actually make a strong case that Norris has been the, the strongest performer, all things considered, of the season, because he has mm-hmm. just been banging in those top five results. The thing I said I wanted to see from him this season was that consistency joining those yeah, peaks yeah. of performance. He's done that extremely well. So, yeah, no, no argument on Norris at all. And yeah, Alcon's interesting. Obviously, he had that run of two or three races, the two Red Bull Ring weekend in particular. He includes Paul Ricard in that mix, but the team doesn't think it, it quite counts. But there's a little bit. There's a small amount of, not acrimonious, but there's a bit of disagreement about exactly what happened there. The team doesn't reckon that the, there was a front suspension issue that they found. The team doesn't think that explains Ocon's struggles, but I think Ocon thinks it did. So, um, <laughs> But whatever happens, it means Ocon's happy in Silverstone and Hungary. He, he performed well as, as well. So, yeah, Ocon's kind of kept picking himself uh, but Ric- ricardo has been the interesting one uh, and it, it first sort of three four five races you think it's a matter of time and then he's just really struggling he's battling driving completely counterintuitively mm-hmm. he wasn't too bad in qualifying at Silverstone we'd have to rotate the car quite so much on entry but Hungaroring again was was poor even Silverstone in the race the race pace wasn't good Ricardo's a, a very good driver and now, this might just be an anomalous year in a in a slightly odd car to drive that yeah, slightly yeah. weak front end. The way you've got to kind of brake quite late, then rotate it progressively on entry. He's like going against everything he wants to do with with the car to, to achieve it. So that looks like it's going to be the case for him all, all season. So mm-hmm. yeah, the two McLaren drivers are an interesting uh, point of comparison. But Ricardo needs to to be on it next year, and I'm sure that's his uh, main focus now.
2: Well, it's completely a different car, so hopefully that will, you know, that will mean he will be able to 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 wring out every last bit uh, of performance out of it. Um, Sponge, Coops has taken your dear McLaren uh, team, so you've got to choose somebody else. Who who do th- Who do you think you've been? Uh, you've enjoyed seeing racing this year.
4: Nikita Maspin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> no, no seriously answer. not. Seriously not. Um, well, yeah, I've kind of had my, my man taken away from me, haven't I? You know, Lando I've gotta say something about Lando. Um, go on. I will allow it. I, I would hold his helmet for him. I, I can't I can't <laughs> yeah, say yeah, any yeah, more yeah, than yeah, that. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, th- I think um, it, uh, I, <laughs> 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 Yes, exactly, yeah. Um, I can't I can't let the podcast go without giving Lando a round of applause. Um, Not so secret McLaren fans, as we always say, um, but he's been absolutely exceptional. Um, I think the other one has got to be uh, Carlos Sainz. I think he's got to have a mention, you know, going over to Ferrari. Ferrari were nowhere. Obviously, they've done well as a team to get back where they were. And Credit where credit's due. I, I did say before the season, you know, Ferrari with their budget really really need to make strides this season um mm. and they have but all things considered i think carlos has jumped into that seat and he is uh, i don't know whether the fact that ferrari are not really in the limelight that much at the moment is helping him mm. kind of settle in and just get on with it but he really is just getting on with it you know he's he's we know we know that he's quick we know that he's clever <laughs> But obviously, you know, he's doing what Danny Rick isn't. He's just jumped into that car and he's, he's just got on with it. You know, he's, he's done really well. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, if he's not, not Lando, it's got to be Carlos. And surprise, surprise, I used to be teammates. So, um, yeah, he would get my shout.
2: Yeah, he seems to, have, uh, seems to have gelled with the team quite well, hasn't he, Ed? Um, uh, is he happy? Being a, a you know in the Scuderia Ferrari team,
0: yeah, he's delighted with it. He's taken an intelligent, very methodical approach to it, and he's been delivering the the, the results. You uh, know, in an alternative reality, he may well have even been able to win in, in Monaco if he got that second run in. He potentially could have extracted the the pace to get the car, mm. and the Ferrari could have won if it had actually started at the front as Charles Leclerc almost did. So yeah, science has done really well, and obviously the key for him, they confirmed him for two years, so really. He needed to hit the ground running and just say, mm-hmm. "Right, I'm the guy for the for the long term." And I think he's done that now. It should surely only be a matter of time before they uh, sign him up for a, a, a bit of an extension on on that deal. But yeah, it's yeah. not it's no surprise with science. He's had quite a few team moves in his career. He's learned a lot, and he just goes into it with his with his eyes open and very clear objectives, which is which has really helped him. And Charles leclerc's such a good driver as well. Obviously, he's had a a good season the odd the odd mishap but he's so quick and as we saw at silverstone second place there led the majority of the race albeit with a little bit of assistance uh, from (laughs) hamilton and verstappen's collision and the resulting penalty but yeah very strong driver lineup there at at ferrari and and science has just shown that he's he's a guy who belongs there he looks every bit a guy who could sit at ferrari for five six seven years just doing the job week in week out
2: I think we mentioned that earlier in the season actually, didn't uh, you? I think it was you Coops. Uh you could see Charles and uh Carlos uh being in Ferrari for a good five, six, maybe even maybe even lifers uh behind the wheels of the of the Ferrari. Is that what you said? Yes.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean you can the two of them are very fast, they're very close together, they're very much team players. You know, I think was it Monaco where Charles Leclerc after what happened? You know, that was heartbreaking for a to be Paul and then on the install app to be out. Mm. And he stayed around to, to you know, be with the team and congratulate sites. I can't remember where sites finished at that race it was, you know. But he, he didn't just go back to his you know, his apartment and or do a kimmy and end up in a yacht. You know, he hung around and Yeah. And Sites is the same. As Ed's just said, I mean, since is fitted in, he's delighted being there. I mean, who wouldn't be delighted driving for Ferrari, to be honest? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I could see them being there for quite a number of years. Similar to if Ricardo wasn't having such a poor season, I could have said the same about Ricardo and Norris. If they were both fighting amongst the top, I could have said the same for them. I can see that for Norris. I think Norris will stay with McLaren for a long time. Uh, mm. But certainly those two at Ferrari, for sure.
2: Okay, uh, let's talk to Tom.
1: Uh, which driver has really stood out for you? Um, well, the obvious one for this season is Norris, but we've covered that a lot already. <laughs> I'm going to pick out Sergio. Uh, no, not Sergio Perez. That's not um <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to pick out Pierre Gasly because ever since he got dropped from Red Bull in 2019, then throughout last season and all of this season, mm. he has been really, really consistent. He's, he has always been more or less at the top of the midfield in a car that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be there. And if you mm. look at how well he's out his teammate, obviously Snowden has had his own struggles this year. But if you look at how well he's qualifying, how well he's finishing, um, perhaps he didn't have the best starts of the season in Bahrain, when he made quite a clumsy move into, I think it was turn four when he was coming down the hill or whatever turn it is in Bahrain. Mm-hmm. Um Aside from that, I believe he scored points in every race. Then apart from he did DNF in Hungary, didn't he? With damage, yes, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. but he has scored points in every single race f- between Bahrain and and um, and Hungary, which is a really good run. And he's always been sort of like P six, P seven, P five he got a podium and back to, I mean, granted, yes, he had a little bit of luck, obviously, with Verstappen's blower and Hamilton actually sending it into turn one.
3: Mm. But um,
1: but you take you take the cards that life deals you. And, yeah, I've been really, really impressed with Gadsden. He seems to have matured a lot as a driver and he doesn't seem quite as perhaps irate or hot-headed as he was back in sort of 2018, even when he was with Red Bull at the start of 2019. It'd be interesting to see where he goes after this year or maybe after twenty twenty two.
2: Do you think he'll end up staying at Alpha Towery and maybe working his way to the, you know, the the Red Bull team at some point in the future?
1: I don't know. Um if if you look at the most recent series of Drive to Survive, now I know Netflix likes to blow things out of proportion quite a lot. <laughs> um, but also what Gazi wrote about on that very sort of like deeply personal blog post that he put up a couple of months ago. Um he he seems to know or or maybe Helmut Marko has told him that there is no chance of him getting back into that red bull seat um and i think that would be in pierre's best interest to find somewhere else at the moment i don't know where that would be because any any team that's above him or even remotely equal to him is is full um the only outside sort of shot I saw was if Hamilton wouldn't have signed a contract extension with Mercedes and would have retired (laughs) we could have possibly seen George Russell take over as a main driver and then perhaps seen Pierre Gasly in in the other seat of Mercedes I'd have liked to have seen that but we're not going to see that obviously Capes what you got to say?
3: Uh, Gasly was 5th or 6th in Hungary he managed to get up yeah so he's at his 5th I think he's 5th just now because the Formula One website have Beto disqualified, but he finished sixth.
1: Yes, thank you, thank you, James. Yeah, I, I thought he had finished. Um, yes, I believe Dancy does just have to one day in after season, which was the first race.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's been very consistent, unlike his teammate. <laughs> yeah, well, his teammate's been consistently in the wall. But... <laughs> and we all got really excited after the first race, which is really annoying.
2: We all got really excited, Coops, or Coops got really excited? I get excited. Really excited, excited I've <laughs> just
3: looked at my predictions pre-season on the notes and I had them down for a podium at some
1: point. I had Tsunoda down for a podium. I don't think that's going to happen.
2: No. Okay, well, we'll go to Ed. Ed, what, what are your thoughts on Gasly's season so far? Um, And if you wanted to say anything on Tsunoda to kind of tie tie up the Alpha Tauris, that'd be great.
0: Yeah, Gasly's kind of done exactly what you'd expect because it's what he's been doing for the previous season and a half since he was dropped back down to what was then Toro Rosso. Mm. I think he's been in the top six on the grid, eight times out of 11. So he's qualifying well, racing well. He's just doing, he's doing a good job. I I think it's correct, but it's very difficult to see him getting away back into the Red Bull main team. It's not impossible, but there were Mm -hmm. some clashes of style there. And and I think Gasly does have a certain type of way he wants to drive that the Alpha Tauri works quite well for him. He likes to quite aggressively rotate it on the brakes and, and so, then something. Sonoda struggled a little bit actually because he feels the rear is a little bit unstable. But Gasly is mm. a is a really, really good, reliable upper midfield driver who's actually been a little bit unlucky not to have more points than he than he does. here. Hungry was a case in point, and that he had to take mm. the long way around that, <laughs> that accident at the at the first corner and, and dropped uh, almost at the back. Sonoda has had a tricky season, but he is inexperienced. The promotion came a little bit earlier than ideal. I think he would have benefited from a, another season in F2 to kind of really have the chance to win the championship and just mm. not be always playing catch up. It, it, it's difficult. He has he's had some accidents. He's had a reasonable run of results, I think three points in the last four, still giving away quite a lot of pace to Gasly. But yeah. he's got he's got more points than Daniel Kvyat had after eleven races last year. So by way of comparison, <laughs> that's that's an interesting uh, little one. I don't think yeah. Snowda's been brilliant, but there have been signs of promise and they seem pretty committed to him he will probably be around next year so he's got the time to to learn and uh, and and to improve and I, and I think there is there is a, a talent there but it's going to take time to be refined and he, he does need to stop hitting things at inopportune <laughs> moments if indeed there's an opportune moment to hit things
2: have you had a chance to chat to sonnet to, Son- to have you uh, kind of interviewed him for any any of
0: your articles yeah, yeah, I'm talking to him relatively uh, regularly. I did a piece with him in uh, Auto Car magazine um, around Monaco time. So yeah, it's interesting. I, I think he he does put a lot of pressure on himself. Samoda he expects to come in right, right at the start of the season. He Expected to come in, be nailing those Q threes, mm. which is a, a perfectly reasonable objective in an Alpha AlphaTauri. But I think he probably needs to give himself a little bit of, of leeway considering the the inexperience. So. Uh, well, I, I know he's found F1 harder than he thought it was going to be because testing it looked brilliant. He was really confident and mm. consistent and the car looked great from track side. And, and even in Bahrain, after the slightly disappointing qualifying, raced pretty well there. So yeah. it's, it's been a bit of a rude awakening for him, as it often is for, for rookie drivers. So I, I think he's got plenty of opportunity to to turn this round. And he's he's done all right recently. A long way to go still, but there's, there's ability. And Red Bull do like him they they think there is real potential in there if they can refine it and mm-hmm. it's just got to he's just got to get the approach right which he's really struggling with and you know even things like crashing in practice in Hungary just just needless and he always says it's unacceptable mm-hmm. and it, yeah it is but <laughs> you know just just need to try and try and stop doing it so let's uh, I've got a sort of gently high hopes for him in the second half of the season I don't think he's going to be beating Gasly but mm-hmm. I think we're starting to see a driver who could at least sort of chip away picking up regular lower end points and maybe there'll be a high point where he picks up a, a big result.
2: Absolutely. Um I'm going to give you my who who I'm, I've i been impressed with uh, and it's probably going to be a bit of a shock to you because it's not Lando Norrie. Well, it is Lando Norrie, so obviously he has impressed me and uh, several of the others that you've mentioned but i want to speak about alonso because he came in uh, at the start of the year and we were like uh oh, he's, he's clearly not going to be performing well you know obviously the car didn't help um but the last few races you know he's, he's given us some really kind of great racing r- really wheel to wheel he was he kept hamilton behind for so long uh during the last race um uh and it was just really really impressive to see it must have been Uh, and and there's been a few battles like like you mentioned earlier with Raikkonen uh, uh, as well uh uh, several races he's just really obviously we're we're getting the old Alonso back and he is he's he's showing that age is just a number and he can compete um still you know if he had the machinery as well he'd probably be at the front still um have you had a chance to speak to Alonso Ed have you have you spoken about his
0: performance this year yeah Alonso he's come on really well he's He's happy with his progress, and you could kind of see the change in him after the first five or six races. I think he said it's sort of the first five races. Obviously, Monaco didn't go well for him because he struggled with the tyres. But then mm. back here, we started to see proper Alonso, and it's been really good. And, and that hungry drive was was so good because all through that race, he obviously had a, a certain amount of bad luck at the start because he had to back mm. off much more to avoid the incident. Ocon got through, so it was always going to be Ocon that was the guy fighting for the the win, but it, it was very Alonso that he found a way to be crucial he was sat in Vettel's pit stop window for a long time just to cover off a, an unexpected undercut attack and then he mm-hmm. yeah, had to hold off Hamilton for 11 laps and basically at that point it just froze the gap to, to Ocon so that that won the race for for Alpine was, was just brilliant and he's just such a, a world-class driver Alonso I, I think maybe people have forgotten it a little bit because it's been buried so long in, in F1's midfield it's his last win was, what, 2013? So mm-hmm. I think it's quite easy to forget just how how good he can be. And, yeah, he's he's determined and motivated, and he's he's just been on a nice steep learning curve. The start of the season was difficult. Imola, the race was pretty poor, first time in the wet, and he he did struggle, had a number of offs, and occasionally he was getting passed by a has which uh, was a little bit embarrassing for him. But you uh, <laughs> should never underestimate his determination. He's come back one last go because he wants to get that third world championship it's still unlikely but he's coming with the best team he can get into Mm -hmm. which is Alpine and he's doing everything he can to to make sure he gets the most out of the car and you never know if if somebody finds themselves needing a top driver through some unexpected uh, retirement or whatever then then he is is (laughs) but I think he's brilliant for F1 and I know he's a divisive character but you watch him, you know, for the post restart of Baku or battling with Hamilton. He is so, so good, and mm-hmm. it's great to, for him to be back and, and just reminding everyone of, of, of how good he is.
2: And who'd have ever thought that Alonso was going to be a great team player? Um, because that was just, it, like, like I say, he held off uh, Hamilton for uh, 11 laps, making that car probably about, uh, feel about 16 feet wide uh, for Hamilton. And I know. We're all saying, "Oh, he was a great team player there," but he was actually also racing for his own position, wasn't he? So we've got to remember that. So he he's clearly still got the skill behind the wheel, uh, and it's just been great to see. I've I'm really really warming to him uh, even more uh, as as the seasons progress. Um, okay, well, you can pick another uh, another driver that you're impressed with, uh, uh, Ed, because we'll, there's a couple that we that I want to speak about, and they haven't been mentioned. But I want other people to mention them first.
0: <laughs> so, well, well, I'll go with one that's a little bit of a. A mixed bag, but the high points have been good in Sebastian Vettel. I was very pro yes. him, in going to Aston Martin. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of time for Vettel. It, he can be a, a wonderful driver. He's got a bit of a narrow operating window mm-hmm. but when he's kind of it when the car's right for him. He can be really, really good. So he isn't quite in that absolute upper class. He's just that sort of half step behind it. But yeah. yeah when things are good, he's good. Monaco was, was really, really good in the key moments. I mean, as he said after after the race, to have a good weekend at Monaco, you only need to be good for about three minutes or something. <laughs> but he was. He qualified well. Yeah. He, he nailed an undercut strategy to, to pull that pass on uh, Gasly when uh, through the pit stop phase. So, Monaco a good result, Baku a good result, and then what we saw at the Hungarian. So, the high points for Vettel have been really good. There have been a few low points, but he hasn't made so many mistakes. I guess the rear-ending Ocon in Bahrain and the that spin at Silverstone when he could have had a really, really good result mm-hmm. uh, was was a little bit disappointing, but I think he's always got that in him when there's a bit of uh, aero instability around. But I think his high points show what he brings to Aston Martin. They really love him because he's he's a hard-working driver. And he's just, uh, I, don't, I don't know whether, how well Vettel comes across to the wider world, but he's, he is quite a sort of down-to-earth, pleasant character, you know, high level of integrity, just uh just always loved in the in, in the teams he's in oh, i'm pleased he's kept going because it would have been a shame if he'd been lost to f1 so mm-hmm. i don't think he's absolutely at 100 but he's getting there and he's just starting to to show signs of asserting himself over lance stroll consistently whereas it had been a little bit ebbing and flowing between the pair shall we say
2: yeah and he's as you say he's, he's become a bit of more of a character uh, on the grid as well um you know he's obviously fighting for the things that he believes in. He's doing lots of these. You know he made the B hotel um for the you know for the environment. He he went and picked up litter at, at Silverstone, um and he's you know he's just absolutely it's kind of blossomed. Uh, that sounds like such a, a weird weird way to uh, kind of explain it, but he's he's blossomed this year out of you know the restrictions of the Scuderia uh, Ferrari team. Um, it felt kind of obviously. They obviously didn't like him in that last year. He, he wasn't having a good time. Um, very restricted. Uh, and and they, they're very strict with everything. They, they, they kind of control their drivers, really. Um, but in Aston, he's kind of been, been allowed to do what he wants to He's campaigned, obviously, for for the gay rights uh, at the last race in Hungary. Um, he's, you know, he's had been... Proactive with the uh, Black Lives Matter as well, and and kind of voicing his opinion on those sorts of things, and obviously all the all the you know it's just been it's just been another character, and he's been a really really good for the sport, and, and really good as spectators to kind of see this this actual human side uh, of of somebody that we haven't necessarily seen um, for a few years. Uh, I don't know if you agree with me with that Coops uh, has just mentioned obviously that he also knows every single uh, Formula One champion, so he obviously knows his stuff. He's a very very intelligent guy. Are you going to add something about uh, Vettel, Koops?
3: Uh, uh, no, you've pretty much covered it, but I watched that video. I think it was Formula One done it, and they asked every driver to name every Formula One champion, and he's the only one that knew every single one. And, you know, Sorry, that, that's it? impressive. And I, I think it's... Am I right in saying that he bought the Volumes Red 5? Is it? He did, yeah. I can't admit the there. But what is he? Yes. F... A, W4 it guy. was the active suspension one, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. the CFW 14 Yeah, that's what I was going to
1: say
3: the 14 Because uh, I didn't realise it until the last year or two that he was right into his history of Formula One. You know, there's some drivers that just race it. They're not really that bothered about the history. They're, they're more about the here and now. But he's really... He's a massive Nigel Mansell fan. Yeah. Massive Nigel Mansell fan. No, he just spent all that money in the car. He doesn't like Nigel Mansell. Come on. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's a bit of a given. Uh, but yeah, you know...
2: That, it was the Tash a few years back, wasn't
3: it? Yeah, he had the Tash.
2: He had yeah. the Tash.
3: But yeah, I mean, I did kind of get a bit annoyed with him when he went into the back of Colin in Bahrain. I thought, oh, for goodness sake. You know, I want to like you, Vettel. Uh, but, yeah, you know, he's doing as Ed said. He's he's getting the car where it needs to be. The Omar Maris now has stopped going on about the regulations and the low-rate car and the high-rate car, which it's all he talked about for a while. And, mm. You know, he's he's doing well and... You know, we all we all wanted the Aston to look good, or they do look good, but be good. So, and they're getting that way. So.
2: Okay, well, I want to talk about one more person. Uh, has got to be George Russell. Uh, we'll go to you, Sponge. You're nodding your head. It looks like you probably wanted to speak about George Russell. So, we'll go over to you.
4: Definitely, it's undeniable, isn't it? It's Mr. Saturday. Um, he's even made himself Mr. Friday when he needed to be. Um, <laughs> he's just he's just. Out, outperformed expectation. Every opportunity, hasn't he? You know, I mean, <laughs> the point that I mean, the last race where they scored points, he was on the radio saying, "Do whatever you need to do. Sacrifice me if you need to. Just go and get that point." Mm-hmm. And they ended up with two points. I mean, what a man! Well, two point, two, two point scores. Two uh, point scores. Both, yeah, sorry, yeah. Points, yeah. Two point scoring cars. Um. <laughs> Yeah, what a man! I I just, get him in a Mercedes, for crying out loud, get him up there.
1: Do you wonder if that's like a little sort of nod to Mercedes to say. Yeah, was it an audition? That's, a, that's what, what i was saying. saying. Well, well, no, not even an audition, but for him saying, look, you know, if you need me to get away for Hamilton, I'll do it. You know, I, you know, he <laughs> was just trying to sort of, perhaps blossom his proverbial CV a bit with that. <laughs> mm,
2: yeah, I am a I am a team player. I will allow sometimes for the teammates to get in front what do you think uh ed uh has was that a was that a message to toto uh, or was it a just gen just a genuine kind of thing for him wanting the points
0: i think it was genuine but yeah. russell's an intelligent character so he, he, he kind of knows what's at stake so i'm sure that will have been sort of a secondary bonus but hmm. you know you could see from his reaction how much it meant to him for, for williams to finally get points and also get such a haul of points that realistically that's likely to give the mate from the championship which obviously is as good as it's going to get but russell mm-hmm. he, he's been fantastic this season the only thing that goes against him is because he's so consistently good at extracting the maximum from the car on on saturday or on friday qualifying as we've had mm-hmm. once that does mean that he's he's fighting against gravity in the race because the, the the car it does tend to regress more to the mean of the car performance yeah, yeah. and it is basically the ninth quickest car and that means he's always under threat from, you know, your Sonodas, your Alfa Romeos, the odd Alpine, who he's, uh, he's out-qualified. So mm-hmm. I've got no doubts about his about his Sunday performances. Obviously, he had the mishap in uh, Himmler when he was trying to pass Bottas. And then I think he slightly overplayed his hand on that one, which is unusual for George. That's about the only time I could say that. <laughs> and I think he, he did have to back down a little bit uh, uh, after that and got a little bit of a talking to from, from Sosa. Yeah you know, he, he's a fantastically good driver and uh, for me, it's a no-brainer to put him into to Mercedes, primarily because they need to start thinking about the, the long term as well, because Lewis Hamilton won't be around forever um, mm-hmm. and they need to evaluate if Russell can be the, the guy to, to replace him, and he's kind of showed us all all he can in a, a team like Williams, so yeah, it's time to time to put him in, and as we saw in the Sikir Grand Prix last year, he can absolutely do it. Yeah, there's a few little Rough edges on on first laps. His decision making isn't always perfect. Sometimes ends up with his car not in the, the ideal place. But that'd be less of a problem if he's <laughs> if he's up at the front.
2: Yeah. So, uh, have you had any kind of insider information? Do you know any anything that's coming from the from the teams at all, or are you not allowed? You've got to keep your cards close to the chest. If you if you do.
0: No, on, on this, I don't have kind of one hundred percent. Yeah, this this is happening. Mm-hmm. But I I can't see any reason why it wouldn't be. It uh, wouldn't be happening because it's just the, the logical thing to do. Mm. Purely speculating on this one, it may just be they're waiting for Bottas to to get his future sorted out as well so that it can all be announced in quick succession. Obviously, right. both Alfa Romeo and Williams are options there for for Bottas. He's, he's been a bit unlucky, actually, in that there's the, the moment he's dropping out Mercedes, probably they could keep him on still. Mm-hmm. Is the point where all of those upwardly mobile midfield teams are uh, locked? So it's yeah, you know, yeah. kind of feeding a little bit on on scraps there with uh, Williams and Alpha Romeo, and, and Boss is a good driver, so, so want to see him uh, get it, get it a good place. But I, I would expect it to be. But I'd be lying if I said I've had I've been told one hundred percent that's definitely happening. Mm. But everything's pointing that way.
2: Yeah. The only thing I I just have a feeling that they'll say that you know it'll be well. Bottas is a team player. Uh, it, it so much so that you know he's consistently bringing a points, enough points home to win the constructors. Um, so why would we rock the boat? I think the only thing I'm I want let let me I want to get this straight. I want George Russell in that Mercedes seat. I absolutely want it. I just think Mercedes might think we've given Lewis a two year contract. Let's see the first year contract, the first year of his contract with Bottas in that seat for one more year. Uh, give George one more year in the Williams to uh, to mature because he's still young. He still has the the, the time uh, for his career to to be in a top performing team. Um, I just I don't know. I, I don't know what's in my brain. That's that's kind of that's what's happening uh, at Mercedes at the moment. They're just. But as I say, you you, you might be right in terms. Of you just I hope don't that like right.
3: change. That's sort all. Of.
2: I want no. I want the change. I do want the change. I just. I <laughs> no, I just. I just see from a business perspective. Mercedes, why would they want to rock the boat? Why would they, you know, they're getting the points that they need to win the Constructors with Bottas. Why would they, Why would they? you know, I don't know. But I, comes,
0: I think it comes down it. to, sorry, I think it comes down to, to the future, doesn't it? Because Lewis Hamilton, he signed a two-year deal, he could retire at the next season, and then they'll be going into the following season with an unproven Russell and Bottas. I don't, I don't really? think they'd like that situation. So it depends how forward-looking they're going to be. So you're right, Bottas has done a decent job there, but also you look at it, how many points has he been taking off for of Stappen this year? And, you know, Perez has, has struggled a bit on and off this season. He's only just ahead of him. So mm-hmm. there, there comes a point. I think if Hamilton was three years younger, I, I think it'd be a no-brainer and probably he would just decide to keep Bottas. But yeah, yeah. It, it depends how serious they are about their succession planning. And I, and I think probably now's the time. But I don't run a team, so it's going to be uh, up to up to Toto wolf
2: it, it would be a good mentorship, wouldn't it, for for George? The last two years, well... I mean, Toto T- Wolff said it, it might not even be the last contract that Hamilton signs, but it would be a great kind of mentorship for George to have a couple of years with a, you know, an eight time, or I'm being presumptuous here, world champion um, or seven time, depending on what happens this year uh, anyway. Um, what I want to speak to now is about, about what your expectations are for for the rest of the year in terms of what what race are you looking forward to, uh, and who do you think is going to going to you know win them and 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 stamp their authority on the remainder of the season? We'll go to you first again, Ed, uh, as our guest.
0: Yeah, making predictions is dangerous business because it keeps swinging back and forth. It does. I, I've still got the kind of feeling that that probably the Red Bull is going to be the stronger car. At, more circuits over the second half of the year but Mercedes is going to be close Mm -hmm. it's weird because Hungary was the odd one because they just couldn't get the car balance right so they went down to that slightly lower downforce rear wing because that's the only way they could get the car balance which you don't want to do Mm
3: -hmm. at the
0: downforce sensitive circuit I think Silverstone was a bit of a one-off because it was that late qualifying The, the track temperature just dropped and they couldn't get the fronts working and it was just getting worse through qualifying so I think Silverstone was a bit of an anomaly but Hungary, I fully expected Red Bull to be strongest there and, and and they weren't. So it's really interesting. It's it's kind of a sort of 55-45 feeling in terms of who <laughs> which team's going to have the advantage. But mm. I think whatever happens, it should be close enough for it to be kind of within the, the error bars, for want of a better word. So it's going to be within the, the, the teams executing their job well, the drivers doing their job well. What happens next time Hamilton and Verstappen cross swords on track, which is going to be... I think great to watch, but it the main thing is just that they keep kicking lumps out of each other. Hopefully, only metaphorically, for <laughs> however many races we've got this season. And and it's going to be great because once we get back after the break, we've got that triple header: Spa, yeah. Monza. Some different track characteristics. Obviously, Spa's sort of compromised circuit. Monza, the uh, the low downforce with a with a sprint race, and then Zandvoort, a little bit of an unknown, but uh, obviously very different type of circuit which is going to be invaded by the Verstappen orange army so yes that's going to be really interesting and that'll sort of set the tone but you, you can't really predict what's going to happen I, I just hope that it goes down to the last lap at Abu Dhabi because Absolutely. it's going to be one of those ones that probably both drivers you can make a case they're going to be worthy champions because so far that they they both have been I just think it's interesting to see how Red Bull and Verstappen respond to the fact that the last couple of races have gone so badly against them Mm-hmm. For any fault of their own, if you're Max Verstappen, you're thinking, What have I got to do? Um, obviously, nothing he have done about Hungary, and as I said before, Silverstone, he had, at best he had a minority stake in that incident, shall we say. And <laughs> it was certainly more, uh, more than Hamilton in that regard. So, I think he needs to and Red Bull just need to regroup and and, and just hit the ground running again after, after the break. It's gonna be brilliant, isn't it?
2: It is, I- I'm really excited for it. Um I just, uh, it's just a great season. Really, uh, every race, there's been something to chat about, as I say. Coops, um, are, are you looking, for a, to, looking forward to a specific race or just all of them?
3: All of them, but also Zandvoort. Mm. Uh, because... Do you think
2: Hamilton's going to need some kind of bodyguards around Zandvoort? Well... I think after uh, what's happened, yeah. I think he's going to have to watch his back, unfortunately. I think
3: he's lucky that there's bubbles to do with COVID to go. Uh, I don't, I think it's... I would like to say that it's all talk, but after Silverstone and then seeing some of the banners that were put up, uh, you mm-hmm. know, the, the next race, I think, you know, was it Ben, uh, one of the guys, uh, one of our previous guests, Ben Hunt, actually shared it on Twitter, uh, They called uh, Hamilton a cheat or something, it was the banner on the side of the stand, and, you know, yeah. I would like to think it's all talk, but it was just getting a bit too tasty. I'm thinking, I think there's a wee, someone out there, or undesirable that might take a wee pot shot if they had the chance to, but you know, Lewis Hamilton, Mercedes, they're not dafty, they would know how far they can go with it, they'll keep Hamilton out of the way, at he'll just concentrate when he needs to concentrate on, don't think he pays much attention to social media, I think it's, he leaves that to the rest of us. Uh, mm. You know, I would like I'd like to see Mexico purely to see if Paris could get something because the Mexicans would love that. But the chances of Mexico happening, I think they're on the bubble. I think Brazil's on the bubble, and I think it's Japan. I think is the next one because I like think the Japanese organizer said they were waiting to see about the fallout from the Olympics. So now that's done, mm. there will be a I think there'll be a decision about Japan pretty soon, uh, and then we're looking at.
2: Well, Japan dropped the MotoGP, didn't they? Yes. Uh, I believe. Um, so I was quite surprised that the F1 race didn't follow pretty much immediately afterwards, if I'm honest.
3: Yeah. I mean, then now, now we're looking at, I think Formula One have talked about a double header maybe back in Bahrain before Abu Dhabi finishes, or a second race at Bahrain, sorry. Uh, and then a double header at Sucker the Americas, which has already been tentatively discussed on, I think it's F1 Experience, I think I've said about a second race. Uh, and yeah. in, in the circuit of the americas so they're pushing it to try and get 23 races which doesn't help uh red bull with the fact that both are in both our cars i think are heading to the third engine already uh, mm-hmm. so
2: and one of them threw no fault of their own
3: <laughs> well two of them at least one that's not totally their fault and the other one wasn't their fault that was botas but anyway no, it's. I'm just looking forward to the battle. Compl- I'm just looking for- I'm just so I just don't want Hamilton to win a couple and a row and Verstappen not to be second and it ends up being you know, a race one between Hamilton and Verstappen and you just don't you don't bet against Hamilton when he gets his he gets that kind of distance. If it ke- if it stays close and they don't kill each other by being stupid and trying to dive down the inside where they shouldn't be. Mm. You know, we don't want a Suzuka 1990 Prost, Senna there was a gap no there wasn't Uh, situation Uh, yeah I'm just everyone I mean this is a season where Paul Ricard actually was a good race so I mean (laughs) (laughs) who'd have thunk it
2: we've won
4: that's it we've won (laughs)
2: Sponge we'll go to you then Uh, what are you looking forward to uh, for the rest of the season
4: I'm really looking forward to the Italian Grand Prix yeah I think I don't know whether whether Ed's got anything to, to add here in terms of you know the inside track, but usually when Ferrari come out and say that they're not going to do something, nine times out of ten, they are going to do it. So now mm. that they've come out and said that they're, they're not, not actually going to bring their significant engine upgrade before the Italian Grand Prix, I'm going to guess that they're going to put it in for the Italian Grand Prix. <laughs> um, so I just want to hear that monogask. Slash Italian national anthem on the podium at Monza. If you're for the, if you for the romance of Formula One, can you get anything better than that combination? Mm. Uh, you know, I, that that's what I would love to see. Um, whether it will happen, I don't know. Probably not. But
2: well, let's talk about that engine upgrade. That engine upgrade is due to come soon, isn't it? Uh, and people were quite surprised, even though you know Ferrari have actually. Performed quite well this year. Uh, Ed, have you got any kind of any information that you want to share with us?
0: Yeah, obviously because the there is an engine freeze, but you're basically had one new spec each year of the various components. There's a few that it straddled over 2020 and 21, so they've Mm. they've held a few back so they can make their one spec change. So I I don't think it's going to be transformative, but the the Ferrari engine sort of similar level to the Renault engine now, which is pretty good. It was very much the fourth engine last year. Mm. there's still a deficit to, to mercedes on on peak power 25 30 horsepower something like that and it's all about getting the the, the engine that they have at the end of 22 which is going to be the frozen engine mm-hmm. some of it's frozen at the first of march some of it's uh it's frozen first of september i think is the homologation deadline because they've got to have it right then because if not then they're going to be hamstrung for 23 through through 25 yeah, yeah they're quite they're quite kind of optimistic about the the uh, the, the power unit upgrade they've got but yeah, it's, it's not going to be a Mercedes beta suddenly, it's going to be interesting for them strategically how they deploy it because obviously Leclerc's now got some engine trouble from uh, being hit by Stroll which will have derailed their mm. plans so it's interesting if they were to bring uh, the, the the upgrade to, to Monter, perhaps it's a Spanish national anthem, they'd be more likely to play if it was a Ferrari driver because <laughs> obviously Leclerc could be facing potential grid penalties when it's introduced if, if it into the uh, the excess bits and pieces I don't think it's going to make them a winner at Monza but yeah <laughs> a Ferrari winner at Monza would be would be wonderful wouldn't it but it's going to be a great weekend there with the, the sprint race I think they'll they'll really enjoy that format it worked well at Silverstone obviously you've got something at stake on each of the three days so that that's going to be uh that's going to be great but uh, yeah it's just going to be another steady step for for Ferrari but obviously it's it's the long term that that they're looking at and that that battle with McLaren this year and then the further battle with McLaren to see which of those two is going to be more likely to be the the team that's re-emerging as a a winner on merit they'll be hoping as early as next year Mm.
2: and you just uh you did an F1 swear word then you said sprint race and you know you're not allowed to say that Ed uh Spr- sprint qualifying so what were your what were your take what was your take on the the sprint qualifying do you think it's the finished article or do you think there's something that they need to kind of tweak um to to make it perfect
0: it, it worked it worked well obviously i think the mm. the race length was about right as well because although it did settle down it was short and sharp enough to be a bit different it it didn't create an enormous amount of disorder on the grid because if mm. you look at the it kind of created a couple of bits of massive disorder so yeah, Perez yeah. going off and uh, dropping to the back and Alonso gaining some places, Raikkonen gained, I think, three as well. Mm-hmm. But it did not make a huge difference. So it really depends what the aim is to achieve, because one of the aims is having something on each of the three days. Yeah, So that it's achieved. It's It just makes Friday better. And I must admit, in Hungary, having the normal Friday practice day, you're thinking, you know, this is a little bit flat again, because it's just <laughs> back, to, back to the normal. So that's a big tick. Whether F1 wants to be a bit more aggressive with the format and you start trying to find different things to do with the format and how you line up the sprint race grid it's an interesting question it's another one of those philosophical ones what, what's mm. the aim do, do they want to use the sprint race to create a little bit more disorder for the start of the uh of, of the grand prix and obviously the longer the race goes on the more time there is for the natural order of pace to, yeah. to be re-established so I like the way they're going about it three of them this year Monza's second they haven't confirmed the other one Austin I think would be quite a nice one they won't do it in one of the last few races because they don't want it to be a kind of critical championship point toward, towards the end with, the, with the, the the three points for the win
2: Was, was Interlagos not mentioned?
0: Was Yeah it? In, uh, yeah I'm just assuming Interlagos won't happen to be honest. Oh yeah it's true um, very true I, I think that's that's the least likely of them all to happen you never know but from what I understand of the, the COVID situation over there it doesn't, look, it doesn't look great so yeah Austin could be quite a good one to do it for and if they have a double header there which could end up being what happens if Japan doesn't happen and that's a Japanese internal politics question. Really, then we could mm. end up with that, that double header. I think they'd, uh, their ideal would be in that situation two Austin races and then Mexico if it, if it can happen. Um, so yeah, Austin would be would be good for the for the spring race. I think it's been I think it's I think it's been good. It just depends how far you want to want to take it. And I think from what I've made out, generally fans have quite liked it because it's it's some extra it's some extra racing, isn't it? And yeah, yeah it's it's created three things of real import to watch on a Grand Prix weekend when previously there were two. So uh, when it comes to that, everyone should be a winner, except maybe Sergio Perez. <laughs>
2: I I thought maybe they could have like two qualifiers. So have like, uh, you have your Friday morning practice and then you have your your sprint, your the qualifying for the sprint uh, race, have a sprint race where there's, you know, say half points and then have another in the afternoon, another qualifying for the actual race. Because I did find it, very strange that the qualifying, the the standard qualifying didn't provide kind of the, the, you know, the, the Pirelli fastest lap or whatever, and all all that sort of thing, it just, it felt a bit strange to me. I I just think it probably does need a bit of a tweak. And I also think I I disagree with you slightly on the, the length being the right, I think probably after 10 laps, it was probably done. Um, so I think maybe if they could they could even shorten it a bit a bit more. But I guess they want more more time on track for the fans, which is you know understandable for for venues and that sort of thing.
0: More time to look at the trackside advertising. That's the important.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, oh, I haven't been to Tom, have I, Tom? Uh, what were your thoughts? What, what What are your thoughts? What are you looking forward to for the the rest of the season?
1: Um, I'm just looking forward to a continued title fight and a title fight between two drivers in two different teams. So it's, so it's not just a fight for the Drivers' Championship, it's a fight for the Constructors' Championship. Um That aside, I'm also looking forward to the battle of the midfield because this year, more than ever, it seems to have really, really picked up. Mm. It, I believe at the moment, uh, Ferrari and McLaren are tied on points. Mm. And obviously, Alpine have just picked up a good haul of points. Um The fight for sort of third to sixth, if you like, the third to maybe even seventh, uh, should be pretty damn good for the rest of the season. Mm. Um, I'm also looking forward to seeing what happens with the driver rumours. Who ends up where? Who ends up in what seat? Uh, you know, we've spoken at length about you, know, your George Russell. You know, your, your second Red Bull seats. You know, um, you know who's going to move where. I'm just looking forward to seeing if Russell does finally get that move as well.
2: Yes, uh, aren't we all? <laughs> uh, but again, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we hopefully it will drop soon. Um, there wasn't the rumour that it was going to be done during this summer break. Um, we're getting further and further into the summer break and it still hasn't dropped
1: yet. Uh, I- Sorry, to the, just, just, just to jump in on that. I believe um, Total Wolf said that they are taking the summer break to evaluate both drivers and then sort of like think about it and then make a decision. So we should have an announcement maybe as the season starts back or something.
2: Mm-hmm. I've got the images already made, ready for uh, to put the pages. It's just waiting for that news to drop, so we can whack it straight up. Uh, but we will have it first. We promise. <laughs> not if edge <laughs> showing the race.
3: Have anything to say about that?
2: <laughs> I'm sure. Well, we'll be the first unofficial source. Uh, like we we usually pride ourselves on that. I think we've pretty much kind of rounded up the season. Uh, the season so far um we've given given our kind of thoughts on 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 the season ahead um let's talk to ed about your season so far as as a journalist how how has it been has it been is it been a, a good season uh to be a journalist in f1
0: it's certainly been better than last season just yeah. because uh, it's just gradually slightly opened up a little bit which is nice we can actually get paddock access again now so you can yeah. wander around and, and speak to people that started at, at monaco Whereas previously last season and the early race of this season, we've been kind of locked away as it were. Mm. So it's it's picked up a little bit from that perspective. And obviously the fact it's been great on track is, is good. It's still a little bit weird, but ultimately quite fortunate to be able to travel around and do stuff at a time when still a lot of people are, uh, are restricted. So uh, yeah, no complaints about having to deal mm. with some restrictions. So yeah, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been enjoyable. And just the fact there's so many storylines just makes it, quite easy because there's so many topics you can delve into and threads you can you can pick out and just battles throughout the field which is which is what you want to see
2: yeah absolutely a- anyone else got a question for ed uh, today or should we go to we we'll go to tom first i keep keep leaving you to the end so we'll go, we'll go to tom first this time
1: thank you tiller um yeah ed one thing i did want to ask and it's very sort of like covid related you might have an idea of what i'm about to ask Obviously, as as you mentioned, we started to open up more and more with races this year, and there's been more and more media access, all the rest of it. Um, we hear a lot about how the drivers are tested and the teams are tested and kept in bubbles and all the rest of it. What's it like from a media side, you know, f- from your perspective, or or if or if Scott or Glenn has gone to um, has, has gone to a race? How how strict are they around bubbles and mingling and testing and like keeping you all separate?
0: It's it's become a little bit better recently. You've, you've got to still be careful about distancing and that kind of thing, but you can now go and you know speak to people. We're not allowed in the motorhomes currently. Uh, usually, you're allowed to kind of free access, at least to the ones that let you in. Some of them, uh, some people aren't welcome in some of them, but uh, normally you have rel- it's relatively relaxed in that regard. So it's always outside in the paddock, but you can, if you want to, kind of grab someone to speak to uh you can now actually do that you just have to be just obviously you've got to have the masks on and you've just got to uh, respect the social distancing and that kind of thing so it's kind of preventing prolonged access you're, you're still kind of not meant to when you're out for dinner of an evening or whatever mix with people from other groups etc mm. um obviously the the sort of media group it's it's kind of all right um so it's it's still it's still restricted but it's not quite as bad as uh, as last year but they're, they're being really careful and it's sensible to be careful because the consequences of a proper outbreak are quite serious. And also they have to give oh, yeah. assurances to the governments for some of these events because a number of them, we've had special dispensations to be allowed in and to not quarantine in countries, et cetera. So in exchange for that, we have to be responsible. And the number of cases has been, has been tiny. Mm. Um, obviously, there is the regular testing at races. F1 put out the numbers, I think, every Friday, and that they're, they're very, very small. Most of the cases that have ar- arisen are often ones that aren't talked about because they're detected at the factory or whatever because you're Mm. probably if you're working formula one to an extent you're almost more likely to to contract it just through everyday stuff Mm. Uh, and the teams are quite rigorous about that so it's i I think it's been quite responsible and careful obviously you know everyone sort of yearns for the time when it's back to normal but that's the same in everything and Mm. by having these rules and following them you've got a greater chance of achieving that normality down Mm. there down the line, so it's still it's still weird, um, but yeah, I guess we got kind of used to it. It's sort of a, a new normal. You're, you're used to as you head into the track, you get your uh, you get your COVID test, and
2: uh, yeah. I bet you're sick to death of having a swab stuck up your nose, aren't you? Yeah. It's uh
0: it, you kind of get used to. It. It's not been it's not been too bad. I have heard some horror stories about uh, how aggressive some of the samplings been. But it's been uh, I may have just been lucky, but uh, yeah, you, you just get used to it because it happens so mm. much and. Uh, yeah, I think those rules will be in place for the rest of the season. We'll see where we are for, for next season because, first and foremost, they've got to keep the show on the road, mm-hmm. they've got to respect the local rules. And it's interesting now with fans turning up. Obviously, we've had the huge attendance at Silverstone, Hungary was pretty busy. Austria, the, the second Austria race, had a pretty big crowd as well. So, we're getting more fans there as well. So, it's uh, and the, the sort of world is noticeably a bit more busy because, like before, like last year, traveling second half of the year you'd be on uh, hardly anyone else will be in the airport but it is mm. picking up now so it's uh, yeah I, I don't have too many complaints you can get to you can watch trackside this year which you couldn't do because i always like to, to try and do that cause You get a good view of the cars and build good understanding so it's yeah it's 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 freed up but yeah I mean, it'd be nice when it's a little bit more normal shall we say
2: sponge let's go to you have you got a question for uh, ed today
4: yeah i mean from a from a um obviously you're on the the other side of the fence to the you know the the everyday fan kind of thing um specifically about silverstone what what was the kind of general uh feeling uh, you know about having that full you know absolutely full to the rafters all i went on the friday and it was i've never seen a friday so busy before i mean obviously we had the the qualifying on the friday which made a difference um, but what what was the feeling in the paddock? Was it? I mean, was everybody did did anybody get overwhelmed? How did you feel? Were you you know, did it feel like it was just back to normal, or did could you could you you know, could could you feel that something was happening? Because it certainly felt like something was happening being in the stands.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're aware of the atmosphere, which is great to see, and it's just great watching trackside. And you see all the the full grandstands, whether it's on TV. Whatever that—that's brilliant. It's still slightly odd in that, you know, when the the COVID lockdowns were at their most secure, you know, you kind of see five people in the same place, and that feels like a mob, of people. Yeah. Should we say? So you see one hundred and forty thousand or whatever it was crammed in. It it looks it doesn't it doesn't it's not sort of over-roaring or something. It just it's just something you've kind of stopped being used to seeing. Should we say? Yeah. So it's it was a nice glimpse of uh, of normality, and obviously we're seeing that in more sporting events uh, happening. Obviously, football start has started to open up. Seeing crowds, uh, so it's positive uh, from that regard. But it, it is still slightly strange because the obviously the rules for those attending are much looser than those kind of in the paddock. So you're having to be uh, sort of slightly careful, and there'll be someone, some races where there'll be huge crowds, and it'll be difficult to get around places. Mm. You're sort of under instructions to not mix too closely with people, and uh, you're sort of having to barge through uh, crowds of, uh, of fans or. Uh, so there's a little bit of a disconnect there, but I think generally people have, I mean, the drivers and the teams really do enjoy it. Yeah, it creates a bit more traffic and sandvort's going to be a, a traffic jam nightmare, but you'd rather have that than, uh, than nothing, shall we say. And, and, and I think everyone's enjoyed just feeling that there's a degree of normality there. So uh, yeah, it's, I, I think it's been great. And as long as it's done safely and, and sensibly and it's not causing huge risks for people, then great.
4: I know from my side of the fence, it was like, you know, we were walking around and we were like, there's a lot of people here. There's, there's so many people walking around here <laughs> and obviously nobody had got masks on. I mean, it was it was kind of chosen as a pilot event, um, you know, not 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 getting in any way political, but it was like, well, you know, there didn't seem much. In terms of you know data gathering and nobody had to have tests before or anything like that, and yeah, you, know, you were very aware of how many people were there not wearing masks and getting so close to each other. Um, I, I think it was actually quite quite overwhelming as a fan to be there, um, and it was just just interesting to see you know from from that side of the fence how it how it felt for you. Yeah,
0: it, it is strange. I- it's a slight, it's a slight disappointment. They weren't a little bit more rigorous in uh, in the data gathering, as you said, because
3: yeah.
0: while we know obviously, and and I'm straying into areas, obviously I'm I'm very much outside my area of expertise, but obviously like everyone, I've read a lot about it. Obviously, the transmissibility outside is is much less than if you're inside. But yeah. I think there's there's a bit of a lack of data about those sort of dense crowd environments, and and how that how that works with things. And it does it does look strange when you see people packed together. I've I've not really been in that. In that situation in mm. in COVID times in a sort of big crowd. So I can imagine it was slightly slightly odd. So you just you just hope it is being being done sensibly and responsibly because obviously you want to mitigate the spread as much as possible because the quicker it's under yeah. control, the quicker Absolutely. we uh the quicker we get normality.
2: Okay, we'll go to Coops. What's your question for Ed today?
3: Yeah, uh, I've actually got a couple. Uh, the first one is did you see uh, online that Jacques Villeneuve thinks that Lance Stroll will end up in the Mercedes with Bottas going to Aston Martin?
1: Yeah, but Villeneuve doesn't have some rubbish, does he? He uh,
3: yeah, <laughs> also said
4: Mazepin was going to be a world champion. Mm-hmm. Oh, I
3: don't know. Uh, I, did, I did chuckle. And as going to I just thought, well, I had a journalist here. I thought, oh, what's your take on that? I just thought it's because Villeneuve hasn't been speaking too much in the press and just opened his mouth to say something. <laughs>
0: Well, Jack's certainly not afraid to to voice his opinion. There are connections between Toso Wolf and the, and the Strolls, so it's not completely impossible. I haven't heard any suggestion that would happen. I don't think it would, no, because no. I, don't, I don't think it would fit in well well for the team. But uh, mm. yeah, <laughs> you, you never know. But ultimately, from a Mercedes perspective, it weaken the driver lineup. To be honest, because Lance Stroll's fine, but he's uh, he's certainly not uh, not a, a superstar. But there's always that sort of feeling that there could be some kind of Wolf stroll joint venture at some stage down the line. So there's maybe sort of a kernel of, of truth under underlying that because obviously Wolf's got a little bit of investment in Aston Martin, uh, Lagonda, the, the, the wider car company. So there's, mm-hmm. there's connections there, as uh, as we've seen. So I'm, I'm not <laughs> I'm not very convinced that that is pulling at the right thread there, but there, there's uh, there's a certain amount there to to kind of build a at least a, a vague connection, shall we say.
2: Yeah, just we we just haven't been speaking about him enough. That's what that's why he said that.
0: <laughs>
3: we just had to get you know Jack Vionov into the podcast just to please get just to please Glenn because we all know he loves Jack. So.
2: Oh, and he'll he'll absolutely be listening to this. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh,
3: my other question, actually the more serious one, is: with the new regs coming in next year, do you see it changing the grid much, or do you just see it more as a? closer racing rather than changing the kind of the kind of way of the land as it were
0: yeah it's, it's a good question assuming everyone kind of does roughly the same job so let's say they all get 99 out of their potential according to the facilities and everything they've got then it shouldn't make a, a massive difference in that mercedes and red bull still have great facilities and all the the biggest teams have got the know-how that they've kind of bought over the years, shall we say. So Mm. the financial regs and cost caps and that kind of thing, it doesn't instantly eradicate all that. So all things being equal, you'd expect, still expect Mercedes and Red Bull to be, to be near the front. Ferrari and McLaren should be able to hope to take a step forward. And there's a lot of kind of upwardly mobile teams you can make a case for. But of course, when you get real rule changes, you do generally see uh, the the field spreads. Mm. So, there's greater chance for teams getting it right or wrong. The the rules are quite prescriptive, but there's still enough in there for slightly different directions. So you never know. Someone someone could drop the ball. It's not it's not impossible. So there is there is potential for someone getting it right, someone getting it wrong, and to see a little bit of, of swinging around the place. But it's difficult to see kind of an Alfa Romeo or a Williams suddenly leaping to the to the front. Obviously, the famous example is the is the Brawn year when obviously Honda. Had, had two diabolical years and then leapt forward. That was a slightly unusual case in that Ponder had basically written off 2008 and just putting everything into mm. into 09. The, the interesting factor there is that obviously you've got two teams in Mercedes and Red Bull really going at it. And if that championship battle goes all the way down to the end of the season, there'll always be that temptation to put a little bit more focus on 21 than they maybe otherwise would. Mm-hmm. Um and obviously even though pretty much all the wind tunnel stuff is now 22 because the wind tunnel research is uh is restricted you can do bits and pieces in cfd that's restricted as well but you've got a bit more flexibility so it'd be interesting to see if that has any kind of knock knock-out effect i did play a part in fact in 09 with ferrari and mclaren struggling because obviously they went to the last round they were still throwing upgrades on the car and into Lagos at the end of uh of 08 so roundabout answer to your question there's there's no kind of seismic reason why it completely transforms everything, but you kind of hope that someone will pull something out of the bag and, and take a big step forward. Ferrari is probably the one that's most likely to, because obviously it's it's fallen from where it, it should have been, so that's not a particularly bold thing to say. Mm-hmm. But equally, you know, Aston Martin have got the capability to, to do something. McLaren have made a lot of progress recently, ever since they kind of had the soul searching after they realised that it wasn't all Honda's fault after all. <laughs> they've done a lot of really good work. And if you look at the way that McLaren's evolved over the season, lots of bargeboard upgrades and they've really got a good handle on what they're doing, quite innovative. And they've, they've made a real effort to be kind of experimenting in these areas of aerodynamics that the top teams have been doing for, for a while. So they're trying to kind of build that bridge across that knowledge gap as well. So th- th- there's possibilities, but all things being equal, the, the, the big teams and the best teams should still be the biggest and the best and you won't see a massively disruptive order but who knows these rules are more prescriptive than anything we've had before so you, you never know it could be that the window narrow enough that everyone lands within I don't know a second and a half of each other and you've got a nice a nice spread throughout the field or it could be someone turns up with a car that's a second faster because they've, they've been particularly clever and that could be a Mercedes or a, never know it could be a Ferrari or, or, or who knows so yeah, it's great that it's unknown. I just, I just hope that it, it doesn't spread things too far. I don't, I don't think we we'll get something quite as extreme as twenty fourteen, shall we say? When well, obviously Mercedes walked it uh, mm-hmm. that year, and that sort of set the tone for it. But it, there, there's a good chance we won't see what we've seen this year. Let's, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. So I've been massively non-committal. <laughs> that, that might happen. Just don't know really. But uh, it's all about, all about probabilities, I guess, isn't it?
2: All we want is it to be fun and close. That's that's what we want. Um, I've got a question for you. Probably the last question that we'll fire at you today because uh, we're getting on in time. Um, rivalries between journalists and getting the story—is um, it kind of cutthroat uh, in in the way that it happens, or are you all just quite quite pally with each other really? But you just keep your kind of your your, your cards close to your chest when it comes to the story that you might have, you know, happened upon.
0: I think it's it's relatively yeah, it's pretty cordial and friendly for the most part. There's there's a few. I think it probably depends on on what you're kind of specialising in, shall we say. Mm. Um, there's there's some journalists who really focus on the news stuff the side of things. I spend quite a lot of time on the sort of more analytical and understanding side, mm. shall we say, with occasional bits of news. But um, yeah, if you wanted to sort of to pick the number one news journalist in F1, I wouldn't put myself up for that uh, particular accolade. But there's some excellent ones who are are very good at finding those. Uh, Stories. I don't think it's especially cutthroat, but there's probably those who follow a good number of journalists on Twitter will see occasionally there's there's a few people who get a little bit uh, chippy about certain things sometimes with good reason sometimes less so. But
2: anyone that you uh, get chippy with, or you kind of pally with everyone?
0: No, I try and try and get on with everyone. Everyone's there to do a job, aren't they? And there's there's Mm. there's some really there's, there's some really good journalists in Formula One. A lot of different people with different strengths and. Yeah, it means that this, it means that formula one is really well covered because you've got you've got so many good journalists each with different contact bases different areas of understanding and expertise that it means that stuff gets out and then mm-hmm. if somebody's broken something others will build on that that knowledge and add things to it. So, it so it i think it makes it great for those following it there's there's quite a lot of sports that don't perhaps have that that necessarily that that depth obviously there are some that have more sort of football obviously being the the obvious one. But yeah, I, I think that's good for fans. It means there's there's something there for for everyone. But from a personal perspective, you know, everyone's there to do a job, aren't they? And there, there's no real reason to, uh, to have massive rivalries. I guess some, some do and everyone likes to have a, a story before someone else or some insight or something better or whatever. But for for me I, I tend to like to try and concentrate on yeah you know, delivering what readers or listeners or whatever are, are interested in and something that's sort of satisfies should we say my curiosity and, and areas of, uh, of of interest so it just sounds I just try and rise above it that's probably what I'm saying I'm better than that. though no, but I think I think people might be surprised how kind of friendly and because ultimately you're traveling around the world with people you don't just see them in the in the paddock and in the media center they're in the same hotels they're in airports etc etc so
2: so I'm I'm envisaging you in 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 all all in the bar at the hotel, just kind of knocking back drinks and having having a good time. Then
0: such things occasionally happen. Yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and and that's just just the way it's Obviously, it's been reduced a bit in COVID times, but mm. uh, but still, it's uh, yeah. It's, I think it's people might be might be surprised by it. shall we say? Because yeah, you're you're kind of living and working with these people almost. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's not too bad. It's certainly not like what you see in films. Let's put it that way.
2: Yeah, well, that's what I'm kind of getting. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking journalists and kind of, you know, undercutting each other and getting the story. Just keep, yeah,
0: you know, yeah, devious, so, uh,
2: deviousness.
0: Yeah, you don't see much. It's not, not quite like it. it's like that bit where everyone runs out of the room to go to the call box to phone in their story, and that, that, that's, <laughs> as in sort of uh, old American films, that obviously does happen. But uh, yeah, and, it, and it's changed so much with digital media, etc. So it's a little bit more. It's a little bit more intense in many ways, should we say, in terms of just you're always churning out more and more stuff, and everyone everyone's kind of even more busy than they than they once were. So uh, the main challenge is to be able to get out of an evening in time to uh, to have a, a beverage or two with uh, with someone, I guess.
2: <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much for answering our questions, uh, and thank you very much for joining us for uh, our review of the season so far. this has been the everything f1 podcast you can find us on all our social medias facebook twitter instagram youtube uh did i miss one there i don't think i did but we're all at the handle at join ef1 uh, and of course you can find our website at www.everythingf1.com before we go ed is there anything you want to promote uh, to our fans anything you want to uh, speak about
0: well, obviously, I've got an enormous list of things I've got to, got to publicise. Uh, but yeah, listen to the Race F1 podcast if you want something to listen to after you've listened uh, listen to this. Uh, yeah, the Race <laughs> F1 podcast, bring back V10s, classic F1 stories with the aforementioned Glenn Freeman's always worth a listen. And uh, yeah, just ch- check out the Race the race.com website. And don't forget the hyphen if you're going there, the hyphen race.com. That's probably enough plugs for now.
2: Okay, okay. Well, This has been me, uh, James Tiller. This has been my colleagues, uh, Coops, Sponge, and Tom. uh, See you later, guys. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, folks. Cheers, boss. Uh, And thank you very much to Ed Straw for coming along for a second time. Uh, We might see him again in the future. Thank you, Ed.
0: Thanks. Pleasure.
2: All right. Uh, Bye-bye, everyone. This has been the Everything F1 podcast. Bye-bye. Bye.